conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. I am joined once again by Richard Newby. This time we are talking all about Crisis on Infinite Earths. This was a suggestion from one of our Patreon members. And I have wanted to read this for a while now, Richard. So thank you so much for joining me and rereading this so we can talk about it. I know 80s comics can be pretty dense. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, this is definitely a, a dense one. Um, <laughs> I remember I used to refer to it as kind of the, the DC Comics Bible uh, <laughs> when I first uh, when I first read it. Wolfman and Perez are both, you know, very, very uh, elaborate writers. Um, I had been reading uh, Perez's Wonder Woman run before Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, and those took quite some time to get through there. There's a lot of words. They're, they're very prose heavy, especially compared to more contemporary comics. Yeah. And we previously talked about Swamp Thing, which has the same sort of thing going for it. I don't want to call it a problem because this is definitely what comics were at the time. And even though it takes me a lot longer to read through them, especially this one, because a lot of the issues were 24, 25 pages, but then you had some that were over 40 pages. And with how many words they put in, it's a lot. And I have been getting into comics more and more. And because I didn't get into comics until I want to say sometime in the 2010s, you know, everything wasn't as wordy by then. So my knowledge of comics mostly comes from a lot of visuals just telling you the story without needing the words. And in these comics, especially on, especially in Crisis on Infinite Earths, if I didn't have some of these things that were like, these are these characters. I would have been even more lost than I was at times. <laughs> yeah, there are so many characters in this. It's a really great introduction, you know, to if you are interested in like kind of like diving into a certain character, like it's kind of great to be like, oh, who's this? Like, I want to find out more about them. But it can be a little overwhelming uh, at times for sure. Yeah, and because of the fact that you have so many characters and then you have duplicates of characters too in this, yeah. which we will definitely touch on soon, but it was just overload at times. And again, I'm not criticizing it for that because I know this was a massive, massive event. And in order to have an event of this caliber, you need to have that many characters. And out of curiosity, do you watch the CW shows? I used to. Um, I, I fell behind. I couldn't keep up with all of them, so I, I missed their their crisis one. I saw I saw photos from it, but yeah, I, I'm so far behind that I haven't had time to catch up. Yeah, so I had watched that before having read this comic, and because I had seen that, I was like, okay, you know, they're gonna get ten roughly heroes together, and in this, you're <laughs> like, oh, that's not the number at all yeah it's 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 thousands of characters and so many different worlds it's really it's such an ambitious uh such an ambitious project yeah and marv wolfman has been in comics for such a long time i went to 
WonderCon in Anaheim, and he was speaking and talking about writing stories and things like that. And even though I don't write comics or anything, again, I'm always interested in how these things are made that I'm consuming and that other people are creating. So I went and took some notes and I was like, yeah, this is why people really love his stories because a lot of people love his Teen Titans run as well. Yeah. Yeah. His Teen Titans run is legendary. It's one of the best. Um, He's just, he's so good at crafting characters and like making each one of them distinct and and unique, um, which is, which is a real skill. You know, you you read Wolfman stuff and you're never thinking, oh, well, anyone could be substituted for, for this character. Like, you know, there's a real craft in how he builds relationships. Yeah. And because of how much is going on in this story, even though it doesn't feel like 12 issues is a lot of time to craft those kinds of relationships, he still manages to to do it so when we get to a point later in the series you're really understanding a lot of the characters emotions that they're feeling and you know why don't we go ahead and start at the top though because I think there are at least two or three things to point out from each issue and with issue one it kind of begins with the demise of earth three and you're really seeing the consequences right away yeah, it definitely it starts off with a bang. Um, and you're introduced to to so many characters, and um, you know the character Pariah, who I think is a really cool, interesting figure, who's like you know not a major DC character, you know afterwards. So already, like from the get go, it's building this really interesting mythology and, and lore. There were a lot of characters I admittedly didn't recognize, and I was like, am I a bad comic book fan, or are they just pulling characters that you wouldn't naturally think of with a story like this? Yeah, a lot of them are, are just characters that you wouldn't you wouldn't think of, like unless you were reading, you know, every DC comic published before this point. Um you know, which which I feel like most people haven't. Right. Um, you know, when, when I read this, you know, I had I had read comics for for a long time. Um, you know, I, I think I, I read this in for the first time in high school. Um, but like even then, like even having you know read comics since I was, you know, around five or six, like there are so many characters that I was unfamiliar with. Um, and I think like it really just like showcases how how expansive the DC universe is, because I mean just like as you said like in the opening issues like there's so many characters and it's really just like mind blowing, uh, you know not only these alternate Earth characters but then you know you've got uh, Orion and Commandy mm-hmm. and a bunch of these like Silver Age characters that you know, a lot of them had kind of fallen to the wayside within here. They're being brought back. Um, there's just like such a consideration for continuity in this that I think is, is one of the things that makes it stand out so much. I love when characters you wouldn't naturally think of are used in this kind of context too, because it really puts a spotlight on just how capable some of these characters are. And even though they aren't the first characters who come to mind when you think of this mega crisis, you're kind of like, oh, 
these characters are a lot more powerful than we thought. Yeah, definitely. There's there's a lot of uh, a lot of different power sets um, going on in here, um, and you know it's kind of crazy the fact that like Wolfman can showcase how powerful they are, but at the same time like come up with a, a compelling threat so that you know it's not you know as a reader you're not immediately like well i feel like with all these characters with these massive powers they should be able to you know easily get through this situation but so he builds up all these powers and he's like well there's an even bigger power you know in terms of of the anti-monitor and this whole crisis um so he really like kind of creates a a a scale i think in terms of, of superhero abilities Yeah, and in the first issue, we also see Lila becoming Harbinger. Yeah. And I think that just kind of kicks you off very nicely. And even though I didn't recognize a lot of the characters who popped up in the first issue, you get to know enough about them throughout this. And obviously, if you wanted to really get the full scope of the story, there are so many other tie-in issues. And I want to make it clear here that we just read the core series, those 12 issues, because otherwise we would have been reading like 50 issues (laughs) for this episode. Yeah, there's there's so many tie-in issues. I, I to this day have not read all of the, the tie-in issues. Um so I, I, I like can't even imagine like how many other little, you know, connective things are, are going on in this in this event. Um but I, I do think that the the core series does a really good job of, you know, making it so that you can just read these twelve issues and still get the full story. Um which I, I think that, you know, it's kind of interesting to just kind of touch on modern comics a little bit. Um, you know, events are kind of the, they're the the big moneymaker, you know, at, at DC and Marvel, but they're also kind of subject to the most criticism um, because they come out so frequently and because there's so many tie-in issues. And a lot of times those tie-in issues contain like really pertinent information that, if you don't read them, then you kind of don't really get the the scope of what's going on in the in the in the main series. But here, I feel like this is kind of like the, I guess this would kind of be like the the blueprint of what I would suggest of like how to do a really great event series that you know is connecting to you know all the ongoings at the time but is also really self-contained and you can just enjoy these 12 issues and still feel like you got the the full story. Yeah, and aside from the relatively dense dialogue and narration that happens in this, I think this is a story that holds up pretty well because you have so many characters and granted DC and Marvel have both done a better job of having more diverse characters that Obviously, some might not have existed in the 80s to have been in this, but you have characters like Cyborg showing up, and it's always nice to see that those characters aren't being left out of these major events. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that is, you know, that's another thing that I feel like, I feel like a lot of times, you know, with modern comics, we get all of these really cool characters that are introduced and then we kind of like never hear from them again or they're forgotten about. Um, And I feel like Wolfman just like is really comprehensive. Like he's bringing in everybody, like no matter how big or small 
And then the cool thing is, is that, you know, some of the smaller characters or what you would say are like the B or C list characters, they get like really cool, like action moments and also just like emotional moments. Um, And that's something that I really appreciate because I think that, you know, a lot of times with, with the modern events, um, in terms of the DC side of things, you know, you have Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman, and of course everybody wants to see them, but like, they kind of like take up all the breathing room and some of the, the, you know, side or lesser known characters don't get as much to do. Um, but yeah, I feel like here, um, you know, everybody kind of gets, uh, gets some of the spotlight, which I think is really cool. Like, like Firestorm, for example, like when I read this, I was not, you know, super familiar with Firestorm, but like he gets so many cool moments in this that it, this is like the book that made me a, a fan of the character. Yeah, I had been familiar with the character from watching the CW shows. And because they did the event in a very similar way, it allows you to have an understanding of these characters that you maybe normally wouldn't pay attention to, because I'm sure there are a lot of people out there, especially at this time, who really only cared about Superman stories or wanted more Wonder Woman. You know, they have their big three in those two and Batman. But I love that Batman actually kind of takes a backseat. We see him in issue two, and he has this thing going on with the Joker because, of course, you know, Joker (laughs) has to get his little appearances in here. But they're not overwhelming in a way that I think sometimes creators will do when Batman and Joker appear in a story instead, they are used more sparingly, Joker more so than Batman, but they're interrupted by the Flash. And this is when we really see that something big is happening and the heroes know about it. Yeah, um, that's that's a really cool, cool moment, too. Um, you know, and it really starts this like interesting relationship between uh, Flash and Batman that's kind of continued on uh, to this day in terms of them kind of like being some of the earliest characters to like be aware that like something major is going on in the universe. Um, especially like, you know, since they're both detective characters, you know, very different, you know, tones uh, and characterizations, but it's kind of a, a cool partnership that I think uh, got really, you know, d- developed uh, starting with this. Yeah. And in issue two, we see, who has been summoned by Harbinger, and it's Psycho Pirate, Firebrand, Simon, Blue Beetle, Solivar, Geoforce, Firestorm, Killer Frost, Superman, Orion, Dr. Polaris, Obsidian, Cyborg, Dawnstar, and Green Lantern, which is Stuart's Green Lantern, Green Lantern, not Hal. And I think that was one of the things that struck me because I was looking at those characters and I was like, okay, Superman and Green Lantern are really the only two massive names out of this group. Yeah. But yeah, like the the other ones, like the smaller characters, they're made like so cool. Like Psycho Pirate, I think is such a cool character in the series. And that's another one that I was not familiar with until I, I read this book. Um, but yeah, I really like that. You know, it's not just a selection, a Harbinger selecting like all the A-listers. You know, it, it's a lot of more obscure characters. Um, and even, you know, like Solovar, like, uh, I mean, that's that's really cool, too. I mean, I feel like most, you know, fans of comics are familiar with Gorilla Grodd, but yeah. not some of the other, you know, gorillas from Gorilla City. So I think that, you know, those choices of those characters, 
are just really cool and it just like shows how much Wolfman just kind of loves this entire universe um, and not just you know the big characters um, yeah I'm just it, it, it's it's still really impressive to this day of just how they how they picked you know who to use and who to bring together for this and it's kind of crazy some of the pairings you have on the other Earths like in like on Earth 3 you have Lex and Lois are they're married and they have a son and you're just like hold on I kind of want an explanation for this yeah like all of that stuff is just like so cool and I feel like that's kind of one of the the wonders of the of the multiverse uh, is that you get to see all these different interpretations uh, of these characters and kind of like you know, kind of like what what Marvel does with their their what if books, but it's kind of like you know, other than just being like a one off alternate story, like this is a whole world of of what ifs, you know, and all these you know different storylines that you know people have actually you know these characters have actually like lived in for a while and built lives in, uh, and you get a sense of that too. You know, that's one of the things that I feel like is so impactful about the tragedy of the world's being destroyed is that. You know, even the ones that you only see for a brief period of time, like you really get a sense of the history of these places, but then also like the relationships built. So you like immediately, you know, kind of kind of grieve for for these worlds and for these characters that get destroyed. Yeah, because even though we don't know the full stories, we still get enough of a glimpse at these lives to be like, man, they really just did that didn't they it's almost like when they blow up alderaan in star wars yeah yeah that's a good that's a good comparison yeah it's just all of these all of these lives just like kind of like snuffed out and you're kind of just like left with with the weight of that you also get the first look at the consequences of time in issue three because we're taken back to like the Jonah Hex days, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool too. Like the, the whole history aspect of it. Um, and you see, uh, I think it's the, the rawhide kid. Uh, some of these other like really obscure, like Western characters yeah. <laughs> from DC. And like, that's, that's really cool too. Cause it's just like, you know, it's giving a sense that like DC is more than just, you know, superheroes, and it's more than just, like, the modern age. Um, you know, it's all of these, like, cool little interesting, you know, corners that you wouldn't necessarily expect. What I love, too, is that they keep the big villain in the shadow, literally, for quite a few issues, because when issue four rolls around, we see that Psycho Pirate is working with the enemy. We also get that with Harbinger and those two, you know, that happens in issue three, but in issue four, Red Tornado is basically just sucked in by the enemy and you're just like, who is this? And I love that they keep that mystery going and they aren't just like right off the bat, oh, it's this character. Yeah, yeah, they really like make him a looming presence, like especially for you know, uh, a new villain, you know, that's, that's the other interesting thing. Um, you know, even though you get like some familiar faces that team up with him, like Brainiac, 
like anti-monitor is just like it's new for everybody who is reading this for the first time yeah um and so like he's immediately like made a big deal uh and kind of going back to your your star wars reference earlier it's kind of like you know in a, in a new hope where darth vader like enters the bridge and like immediately you know that like this is the baddest dude you know, and that's kind of like the sense that you get with with anti monitor, uh, kind of looming in the shadows, and then his full reveal. Like, there's just like an anticipation of like who could be, you know, this this disruptive to the entire DC multiverse. Yeah, and you have levity throughout this too, because in this issue, Psycho Pirate has made. Killer Frost fall in love with Firestorm, basically. (laughs) And it adds just that little element of comedy that we've come to expect from superhero comics in particular. And I just like that you don't lose that in this big, scary event for these characters. Yeah, there's definitely a sense of, of, of fun and levity that happens, like, despite all of the the tragedies um and that that's another thing that i think that mark wolfman really excels at and i think you know really developed when he when he did the the teen titans is that you know there's a lot of of heartbreaking stuff and betrayals and deaths but like there's still something that's so enticing to it um you know in, in some ways like i feel like wolfman has this like comforting voice as a writer where, you know, you, you feel, even though these terrible things are happening, you feel like you're in like safe hands in terms of a writer who like really cares about these characters and who is like, you know, gonna, gonna take you through all of the emotions, but, you know, not just kind of like constantly, you know, torment you with the, with the darkness of it all. Yeah. And, you know, we don't have to go through every single issue and every single detail here because there's so much going on because of how many characters there are that we'll spend, you know, a page, half a page even sometimes with characters in one area and then we're moving on to the next area. And it's not that the story jumps around a lot, but it's just that there are so many angles to cover with a crisis like this. And I think they do the best that they can, given the kind of story it is, because this is one of those stories where 12 issues is definitely a lot for a single event, but at the same time, you almost wish they would have given it to you in smaller chunks that were maybe spread out a little more and didn't have a bunch of tie-ins because I do notice when I'm reading through these that you know there's the little asterisk and they're like go see this issue and I'm like I'm not gonna do that (laughs) so it would have been nice to maybe just have little recaps like one or two panels of what this is referencing and then kind of giving us more of what's going on in the crisis because like you said you haven't even read through all of the tie-ins and you have read this at least twice, right? Yeah. One of the things that I that I, I relied on really heavily uh, the first time I read this was the DC uh, Encyclopedia. Okay. And so that definitely helped me navigate. I think that I want to say that when this was released, that um, so DC used to release these who's who books. Um, 
and they were, you know, basically the same idea. These encyclopedias where they'd give the the stats and bios of all the characters at the time. And I want to say that they released one alongside Crisis or shortly before Crisis. Um, so I think people might have had that going for them, you know, as they were reading it then. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that it's a work that, you know, whether you have like a, a physical DC encyclopedia or you're just kind of like leaning on Wikipedia, I think it's definitely kind of helpful to get some of the the background for some of the, the characters as you read it. I have been collecting reference books recently, but by and large, they have been Star Wars books. So <laughs> I haven't bought any of the Marvel or DC encyclopedias, really. I do have some of like the art of the movie books from Marvel and Pixar and stuff. But yeah, I think I really need to get like one or two reference books for both Marvel and DC to help me sort of prepare a little better for these episodes and just keep things straight in my head as well. Because sometimes you read through a comic and if you're in a hurry, you know, you'll miss some things. But I did try to really take my time with this because I knew how much was going to be in it. And, you know, you get about halfway through and then you have all of the heroes traveling to the various earths to save them and you see them in smaller groups in this instance which i think helps and i will never not find it funny that uncle sam is a character in dc comics it is quite hilarious yeah it's it's a really weird interesting choice like there's there's a lot of just like weird characters that i feel like don't get used in DC anymore that I kind of wish that they would like bring back um, just like some of the like it's so comic booky and goofy uh, to just have like an Uncle Sam character but yeah I, I do wish that they would kind of utilize some of these these characters more because I do think that it makes the whole universe more interesting yeah and then we see the return of Lila at the end of issue six and after her transformation in issue one you're kind of like okay, why why is this happening? And it adds to that unknown element because we're like, okay, is she Lila for the rest of the story now or what's going on? And I think they do a good job of keeping you guessing because even when it feels like this story is over, especially after the first six or seven issues, you really feel like, oh, okay, they've figured out how to save the Earths. Everything is going to be fine. But then if you are reading this after it's been collected, like I was, you know that you still have half of the story left and this can't be over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's a really interesting point too. You know, I think that there's a lot to be said in terms of reading a, a series issue by issue, you know, and they're coming out on a monthly basis versus reading it, you know, as an entire uh, collection um, and especially like something as ambitious as this with all of these characters, like, to be honest, I can't imagine reading this like with with month long gaps in between the issue for like a year or so. <laughs> Here's my thing about reading monthly series monthly. <laughs> I will never remember what happened a month later. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 pretty difficult. Like I, I even struggle with that. You know, I've been reading reading comics forever, and yeah, it's I, I prefer to read the the collective volumes because I I always end up forgetting, especially if I'm reading like multiple series at the same time. 
Yeah, because you figure a lot of comic book fans, whether they just love DC or love Marvel, or if you like both things and image comics on top of that, you can easily be reading 10 different comic book series a month. And I don't know how I would keep that straight. And maybe it's just because, you know, I'm working on these podcasts, so I'm reading a bunch of comics and books and everything all the time that my ability to retain details is not super fantastic because of the pace that I'm reading things at. And I do like to try to spend more time with things. And I think subscribing to things like Marvel Unlimited and now DC Universe Infinite have helped with that because I can get the full story at once. And I think reading it in a few days versus, you know, like you said, over the span of a year is going to help me retain more of that story just because I'm getting it all within a few days or a week. Yeah, definitely. I um yeah, I recently signed up for the Unlimited as well, um and DC Universe uh, Infinite. Um, you know, just I, I typically read things as physical copies, but I just started getting into digital um and it definitely helps to kind of have like all of that at your fingertips um to be able to read like a not only just like the whole volume of one story but then also the next volume as well uh it really helps you know to keep track of of continuity in that way as someone who has five bookshelves in the room i am sitting in right now i understand loving physical media but i am absolutely (laughs) out of room i actually had a book come in the mail today and i was like oh no, where am I going to put this? (laughs) (laughs) And granted, of the five bookshelves, only two shelves, and by two shelves, I mean on a single bookshelf, only two shelves are comics because, you know, Stephen King takes up pretty much an entire bookshelf by himself. But you can fit a lot of comics on two shelves of one bookshelf. And for me, Marvel Unlimited and DC Universe Infinite, which the latter is how I read this, It's just so convenient. And obviously, you know, this isn't the point of this episode, but for me to read Crisis and be able to just kind of swipe through if I needed to, you know, like when I read off the character names from issue two, I just quickly went and found it and they were there and it was nice and easy. And you can see all of the pages at once if you go to a certain view and just scroll through them instead of, you know... I imagine flipping through the pages isn't that much more difficult, but when you can see a bunch of pages at a glance, you're like, okay, there's the thing I need. And it's a very nice reading experience, especially if you are reviewing it for a podcast like this. And, you know, to dive into the second half, issue seven kicks off with the story of how the anti-monitor was set free and we're given some more context as to why this event is happening. And I love that they waited until the second half of the story to give us that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's a, it's a cool choice. It, it definitely like, you know, builds some anticipation and some mystery in that sense. Yeah. Plus you have a new character taking over as Dr. Light and we see her story and She is really starting to come around in this issue because she sees the sacrifice that Supergirl is willing to make. And in this series, you have that super iconic cover of Superman just carrying Supergirl's dead body. Yeah. 
And it's just so powerful. And I think the covers for this series are really good because you have ones like that that are just so powerful. And then you have ones that show you just how hectic everything is because there's so many heroes on the cover and a lot's going on. And, you know, I don't typically pay too much attention to covers, but that one was one that caught my eye. I was like, oh, oh boy, here we go. Yeah, it's it's one of the most iconic uh, comic book covers. Like so many artists have referenced that, you know, and like across the companies, you know, Marvel has done their own homages to that and Dark Horse and Image. It's just like such a a powerful, powerful cover. Yeah, and there was actually something I was a little confused on, so I wanted to ask you about it. It happens in issue eight, and this is when the Flash gets his energy back, takes down Psycho Pirate, and you have the explosion of Red Tornado, but then you have Flash destroying the cannon, and is he the one who becomes the Spectre, or does the Spectre just happen to appear? The Spectre... Uh appears okay yeah because i know that in the cw show something similar happened but it didn't involve the flash and i made a mistake in my notes thinking that the flash was suddenly the specter and i was like i don't think that's right so i think my brain did something wrong here so thank you for clarifying that for me yeah um yeah this this is the original um specter but like eventually like later on um like further down, much further down the line in DC Comics, um, how Jordan dies and becomes the Spectre. Um, so there is like a, a history of DC Comics characters becoming the Spectre, uh, but that that one is the original, uh, the original guy uh, Jim Corrigan. Uh, so he's 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 always been the the Spectre since you know his origin story. I think it was just the timing that tricked me. Because it was like this explosion and Flash destroying the cannon, and then all of a sudden the Spectre's here, and you're like, wait, what What are they doing here? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, are there any moments from, you know, like issues 9 through 11 that you want to point out in particular? I know we're not getting super into the weeds here. I think if we wanted to do that, we would have to go like issue by issue for each episode and do like 12 episodes on this. Yeah. Um, I, well, for one, I love the super villain team up. Um, yes. I think it's, is that nine? Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love all those, those bad. And that, that has a great cover too, but yeah, I love all the villains kind of coming together and forming their own, their own league with, with Luther, you know, at the forefront. Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, I love the moment with them. I believe it's, Superman from Earth Two, the the older Superman. Yeah, I just I think that like, he's a really cool character. I think his moments with with the older Lois are really great too. In his sacrifice, like I think that that's kind of just like such a cool Superman moment. I think him and Wally show the most emotion in these last few issues, and it really just gives more power to the story. Yeah, and I don't know if you've read the the sequel, Infinite Crisis. It's sitting on my shelf. I have not read it yet. Okay, but that that is really awesome too. Um, so yeah, if you if you enjoyed this, uh, you'll definitely enjoy that, and that has some really cool callbacks to this as okay. well. Yeah, I'll have to read that soon then, so that I don't forget <laughs> as much of this as possible. Yeah, yeah, definitely read it soon. It's 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 really good. Uh, it ties in really nicely. 
Yeah, and I love when they get the heroes together in issue 11 and they all meet at Titan's Tower. And it's just sort of a nice thing for Marv to do because you're like, okay, we get it. We get what you're doing, but we also still love it. Yeah, yeah. And then um, the other thing that I, I really like, the, the epilogue, I love that Psycho Pirate is like the only one who remembers everything that happened. Yeah, let's dive into the final issue a bit because this one was over 40 pages. So a lot happens and you have the shadow demons appearing and you have Brainiac taking the quote unquote Earthmen to Apocalypse. And there's so many moving pieces in this final issue that you still aren't even really sure if it's going to come together and work in the end. Yeah. Yeah, there's like there's a lot of a lot of stuff in that in that ending that 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 happens. There's a lot of pieces that need to to come together, and I I love how how Darkseid is like also you know he has a stake in it too, um, you know joining the the heroes to defeat the the Anti Monitor. Like I I love stuff like that where you know not only is it bringing together all these heroes from across multiverses, but it's it's bringing the the villains together too. And so I love that that moment between um, Alexander Luther and, and Darkseid. Yeah, and I think what makes this story come together in the end is the fact that there are a lot of characters who die or end up being erased during this crisis. It's not like the heroes won and everything went back to normal. This was very much a story that had massive consequences and you also have different plays on some of the characters like Huntress was Helena Wayne you know and I like that they kind of do that with the different earths and they give you these different characters and you know you have earth three Lois earth one Supergirl Steve Trevor who you know, two of him die. So (laughs) you also have two Wonder Woman and you have, I'll admit this, it was very weird to keep reading the name Captain Marvel because this was before I think they had to stop using that name. And I was like, wait, hold on. My brain, it's having some trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely uh, a a weird one. (laughs) Yeah, so the fact that you have characters who just exist without existing too i think is a really powerful statement yeah definitely and it's it's interesting too because you know so much of what followed in dc universe i mean not only in terms of just like streamlining continuity and you know rebooting everything um you know i think dc has still been going back and forth on you know whether they they benefit from having a multiverse or not and so it's kind of interesting that you know this was done to clear up continuity I mean, that was the the basis of the story just to, to streamline it and to make sense of the fact that well you know you had batman in, in the 40s or you know he carried a gun and he he killed his enemies and you have the super you know goofy batman of the 50s and 60s and then yeah. you start to get to the the dark one of the 70s and so you know getting rid of all of that and just like starting from scratch um with frank miller's year one and then you know john burns man of steel and george Perez's wonder woman you know and so all of that was just like really interesting but then 
you know, you kind of see DC over a time being like, well, you know, maybe the multiverse concept is something that we need. You know, how can we bring it back? But how can we bring it back in a way that makes sense? And, you know, even to, you know, this this very month, I mean, DC has kind of re rebooted itself again with another one of these, like, kind of crisis uh, events and kind of, like, opened up the doors to what they're calling the Omniverse. And so it's just, like, really interesting of how what uh, Mark Wolfman and George Perez did here, you know, in, in, in 86 is still having major ramifications for everything that DC has published since. Yeah, and it's always hard to go back and read through everything that companies like Marvel and DC have put out. And even if you don't necessarily care for a specific time period of comics, I think there are ones that are really important to read. And this is definitely one from the 80s that I think all DC fans should check out. But Richard, before we dive into some other recommendations here, I know you've mentioned a few things already. Is there anything else you want to say about Crisis on Infinite Earths? I really enjoyed this. Yeah, I, I also, it's a, it's a favorite of mine. I just feel like, you know, not only is it a great story, but it's such a good introduction to so many characters that, you know, you might not be familiar with, uh, with DC. <clears throat> and so, you know, for me, I always try to think about, um, comics being an invitation um you know i think that you know sometimes people can get overwhelmed by like the sheer volume of comics that exist um but i feel like you know even though this is such a major story and it's 12 issues and there's so many characters i really do think that it it works as an invitation you know to not only read this but to explore you know other characters and characters who you might not be familiar with, you know, outside of the Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman's. Um, so, yeah, I just I think that, you know, if you're interested in, in DC, this is definitely a, a must read. Yeah, absolutely. And my recommendation, I think, falls under that same category of a must read. And I'm going to recommend that if you enjoy Crisis, check out Kingdom Come if you haven't. I know that has a huge Superman presence, but it still has a lot of characters. And I think the story is contained enough to where if, like with Crisis, you don't read all of the tie-in issues, you'll still get the full story. Yeah, Kingdom Come is a, is a great one. I'm a, I'm a big fan of that one as well. Um, and, I, and I would also recommend um, Infinite Crisis, which I mentioned earlier, uh, which is the the sequel to this, but it, it's I believe it came out in 2004. Um, so there's a you know there's a a big time period, um, but it it deals with you know some of the ramifications of this. You know some of the characters of this you know pop back up in some unexpected ways, um, and then that was followed by. Um, DC's weekly series called 52. Okay. And that is kind of like the rebuilding of the multiverse. But that's that's great. It's co-written by um, uh, Grant Morrison, Greg Rucka, uh, a lot of a lot of great uh, writers on that. It, it's 52 issues, which which seems daunting, but it's broken up. I believe there's there's three volumes of it, but. It, it reads really smoothly. But yeah, Infinite Crisis and 52 really pick up the, the threads of this um, and do the same kind of thing where you get a bunch of characters to explore and uh, a lot of a lot of cool multiverse stuff. And especially with, um, you know, DC building, you know, their own multiverse in the film and television side of things. Um, I definitely think that a lot of 
you know, fans interested in that kind of stuff will will find a lot to enjoy in those stories. Yeah, and I also like to do ratings real quick before we wrap up, and I would give this a four out of five. Yeah. I know for a lot of people that the 80s is like their era, and I think if I had read a modern day version of this, maybe it would be a five out of five for me, but it is a lot of work to get through this, and I think that's kind of what puts it out of four instead, and you know, it's a lot to keep track of. It's almost like you need a character list <laughs> at the beginning of each issue. Yeah, I think a four out of five is, is what I is what I give it to. Um, yeah, I think, you know, just having, like you, you know, come up with, with modern comics, I do think that it is a bit of a switch uh, to kind of go back and read some of these, these older issues. It's very much worth it, but it's definitely... Uh, more time consuming and and the style is very different um there's a lot of a lot of telling uh, i mean the the art is brilliant but there's there's a lot of a lot of prose that that goes with it as well absolutely well richard thank you for joining me today to talk about crisis on infinite earths it's been a blast i definitely have my work cut out for me with checking out your recommendations yeah thanks for having me this was really fun all right everyone that does it for this episode of welcome to geekdom if you want to support the podcast you can do so through our patreon if you want to follow us on socials you can do so at geekdom pod on twitter and at welcome to geekdom on instagram and facebook and as always thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day